Hello and welcome to Harold Hay. It's Corey Vaughn with Adam Samaha. And today we are talking about Phoebe Cheats. It's a season two episode written by Antoinette Stella uh, with a story by Danica Ivankovic, uh, directed by Tuck Tucker and Larry Lightlighter. Uh, that's a lot of people that worked on this episode. Great job. We actually loved this episode. We did. So it was worth every single person yeah, that was on every the payroll we this named. episode. Exactly. Including us. We were on the payroll too. Um, hush, hush. Hush, hush. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, welcome to Handled Hay. We talk about Hey Arnold. Um, it's a TV show from the 90s. It's on Hulu Plus. You all should watch the show uh, and then come back and listen to our podcast. Or at the very least, don't watch the show, rate and review, give us four or five stars at least. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah. Uh, we do have an email, hey.handledhay at gmail.com. Um, and we're probably going to say it eight times during the episode. Just kidding. Just one other time. Uh, rate and review, please. It is super helpful. On this week's episode, we start with a new intro song mm-hmm. written by a friend of the show, mm-hmm. uh, Lucas Norling. Uh, we think he did a great job. It's very fun. We're very happy to um, have our own intro music. I mean, we kind of had our own intro, but it's this is technically our own. Exactly. It's uh, Jim Lang is amazing, and Jim Lang belongs with Jim Lang. And so we're trying to honor that by... Uh having our own stuff. And if you're new to the show, Jim Lang, he uh, made a, most or a lot of the music for Hey Arnold. He was he the primary music music person. And he did a beautiful job. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, honestly, like that, I said, yeah, passively, but uh, I would say a good portion of why this show is so good is because of the music. So, uh, yeah, we want to honor that by uh, investing our, investing some new music of our own. Very true. Um, stick around to hear some more music at the end. Uh, yeah, so this is Phoebe Cheats, which is a really great character study of Phoebe um, with a pretty good... Um, uh, we see it... Basically, this episode kind of ends up being like a like a very special episode, moral dilemma episode, but it's done really well. So we, we talk about that a lot, and um, we're excited uh, that you're here to enjoy that. We think this episode's probably 10 out of 10, is what we'd say. Yeah, it also uh, features George Takai, so... Get ready to hear his voice, everybody. It's confusing and fantastic all at the same time. Um, okay, well, I'm going to go uh, look for prepositions to be continued. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Cheats is more or less a character study on uh, Phoebe's need to succeed. Uh, she uh, witnesses some other students starting to do better in class than her. Someone uh, gets the best paper. Some other kids get um, basically are the students of the week. And uh, when Mr. Simmons announces a uh, poetry contest, she says, I have to win. And so it cuts to her uh, attempting to write a poem, but of course she's like a major nerd, so she's trying to dissect it like a like a science project or a math problem, and uh, she just is having more and more trouble. And meanwhile, it cuts to Helga, who's who at first says, "I can't do this. I'm no good," and then she very quickly writes a poem about Arnold. And so you see what what Phoebe's actually up against, which is people who know how to write poetry. Uh, so it cuts back to Phoebe, which. As the name would suggest, um, she cheats. She pulls uh, the name of a uh, she pulls a poem from this random book uh, that's on her table, 
uh, and she just copies it word for word, uh, which in turn uh, gives her first place in the class, uh, despite the fact that it was completely plagiarized. Um, and even Stinky calls it out. It's like, wow, you wrote that all by yourself. Uh, and that happens a couple times where Stinky is kind of the, the words of wisdom in this, in this episode. Um, so uh, Phoebe takes it home. Uh, and she is starting to feel bad. She like doesn't know how to communicate that with her uh, with her parents, and she kind of depressingly goes back into her room and hides her her trophy in in the desk. And of course, her mom moves it out while she's sleeping, puts it in front of her table. And so this happens a couple of times where Phoebe tries to do away with this um, signifier of cheating, uh, only to find it come back over and over again, um, usually by either her mom or. <laughs> Um, some other situation putting it back um, and it actually it it, it leads to her um, deciding she's going to tell Mr. Simmons so she goes to school and is about to tell him uh, when uh, the principal comes in Principal Warts and basically says I need something to help uh, help me out with at the open house and Mr. Simmons suggests how about Phoebe have her read a poem so she's in over her head um, she decides uh um, to bury it, do away with it. Uh, and of course, um, Arnold and Gerald find it and put it back, uh, in her room. And, uh, her guilt is so deep that she's starting to hear voices from this statue, this statue of Emily Dickinson. I don't know if I mentioned that (laughs) the trophy is a statue of Emily Dickinson, um, black and white, very depressed. And her voice sounds like if droopy dog was female, uh, it's very depressed. Um, but it's talking to her and she kind of calls that out, uh, as first as like this, like evil entity, but then she realized that she realizes that it's her doing. And so she tells her parents and then tells, um, tells Mr. Simmons, uh, and he basically challenges her, you know, you should write a poem about your experience here. Uh, and then it ends with Phoebe reading Helga's poem to, uh, to the open house and Helga slinking into her chair with Stinky also calling her out saying, wow, you're, you're, you're melting from this beautiful poem. Um, and that's the end of Phoebe cheats. Um, yeah. So it's a, it's a really good character study of Phoebe's, uh, inner demon of, uh, wanting to be the best. Um, and it has a few funny moments and George Takai voices Phoebe's dad. What do you think? You liked it? Yeah, I think it's a good episode. I think he, it was a good characterization of the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, yeah, I don't know. I think that the Phoebe is a very dynamic character, but I think mm-hmm. she tries to be all things to everybody totally. and be the best in yeah. everything. And that's not a, like a, I don't know. It's not a thing that anybody can really do. And I feel like she... Um, n- I don't know. It's like she she has her faults, but I think in the very end of the episode, she kind of like pulls it together. And I think she feels like she's in the sort of moral or ethical free fall. But I think her moral and ethical center have been there the whole time. But she just like messed up kind of like anybody does. I think But her rebound, I think, shows totally that that. she's like like one of the moral compasses on the show. Yeah, sure. Definitely. And it's interesting because we this is another slightly very special episode where it's clear that they're using their platform to teach a moral. Um, I mean, it's clearly like there's, there are other layers we can peel back for sure, but the basic layer is cheating doesn't feel good. Um, Don't cheat. Uh, 
and I think this episode does the very special episode moral of the week a lot better than, for example, the hooky episode, which was like super boring and not not super funny, which was basically like go to school. And if you don't go to school, you'll miss, you know, Carnival Day or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, I think this was a better example because it it combined character development with like some some interesting visuals uh, and then also a moral. It wasn't relying so heavily on the moral. And in fact, I think the moral is more complicated than just simply don't do this. Um, and I think it, it expresses the idea that like you you are what you do like very well. Yes, and that absolutely. like the small things that you do they seem momentary, but it's a thing that you carry with you throughout the day and yes. for a long period of time. Yes, and I think they do yeah a really good job at sort of expressing that and visualizing that. Yeah, let um, okay. I think there are two things we can do talking about this episode one is try to find the meat of the episode uh the other is talking about just how delightful the episode is um and so i wonder let's start fun and then see <laughs> let's see if we can get to the meat of the issue um so we're, we're gonna hold off on the um thesis scene for now just so we can like talk about some delightful uh bits uh, for one, George Takai as uh, Phoebe's father is a g- stroke of genius. Mm-hmm. Um, Phoebe is actually... Okay, so um, I'm going to pose the question now. Uh, Phoebe Heyerdahl, best fictional uh, Asian-American character on television uh, prior to 2010? Yeah, and probably one of the few. Exactly. But yeah. she's like this well-rounded character. She has mixed race parents. Her dad is Japanese. Her mom is like from Texas or something. Yeah. White Southern. Um, and like her relationship with them is like complex. Like clearly like she feels a lot of pressure from them. So you get that like um, stereotypical like uh, Asian American story, which is, you know, parents that expect a lot, but it's, they clearly have this like loving, um, playful relationship with her. Um, yeah, and I think and I think beyond, I mean, besides just their sort of relationship, like aesthetically, it's really interesting. Oh, absolutely! Because yeah. the shots throughout the house are really fantastic, and um, it really is sort of like a blending of like sort of yeah. white Southern culture and like Japanese like interior design and yeah, those sorts yeah. of things. And beyond that, like even the way they communicate with one another, mm. it's like not it. There's like a very Eastern components to it and very Western components. Yes. Um, George Takai, is that how you say his name? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he has, like, the best, like, ambiguous, like, non-West, like, I don't know, non-white accent. It's like, he has, like, this weird way of speaking that is so unique to him. It, it sounds both, like, very, like what you would expect an old, wise Japanese man to sound like, but also very much individually him. Like, yeah, it's, it's so, so specific it's, to it's him. It's so specific to him. And... But I if could, you said like, oh, this guy is something, this person's something else, you go, oh, okay, yeah. I can see it. Like, there's just enough ambiguity in oh, his voice. It's amazing, yeah. Um, and he has the best line of the episode, and uh, we're just gonna let you guys hear it because it's great. Baby, you're moving like an angry wind tonight. No, no, I contest that. I'm certain I made contact. And I am certain you did not. Ah, then I must be mistaken. 
I know full well how honest you are, little treasure. I do not doubt you for a moment. Why is everyone picking on me? What I like about that line, aside from the fact that it's perfectly delivered by George Takai, um, it's very poetic, and it jut it juts against it 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 rests against Phoebe feeling shame for not knowing how to write a poem. It's it's like a beautiful line. You're you're moving like an angry wind. Like it's that's poetic. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's it's it has depth. It's nuanced. It, it basically they're they're fencing in their private fencing room. So if you're wondering if Phoebe is on the poverty side or the rich side, the answer is uh, definitely the rich side. Yeah. Um. You, you that's revealed in this episode right away. Uh. Well, not right away. As soon as you as soon as it opens up on her parents' dining room, it's like this place is amazing. So. They're fencing, and he releases that line, and it kind of it kind of is jarring because it's such an adult phrase that is coming from an adult. You know, like mm-hmm. this shows about kids smarter than their age, mm-hmm. and this is other than maybe Grandpa, who's like has some pretty fun phrases. This is one of the most fun phrases that has come out of an adult's mouth in this show. Yeah, definitely, and I think it's it's interesting because like each character in the episode has certain flaws or ailments or existential crises 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 yeah hard word to say sure um that like afflict that specific socioeconomic status hmm. so like phoebe's like str- internal struggle of like being the best and yeah. working too hard and still and also coming from a rich family and yeah. then you have gerald or, or yeah gerald oh i always scripted him harold uh-huh. you have harold who's like kind of it grows up more in poverty. Yeah. Sort of seems to have some like sort lower of middle class. Yeah. Has like some sort like he seems like he lives in an environment with like a lot of lead in the paint and like he's violent. He's grumpy. Yeah. He seems yeah, like yeah. he has some sort of learning disabilities, which doesn't yeah. always come from that. But I feel like he has sort of these more, these struggles that come from what we, what you would consider like lower. Socioeconomic oh, totally. Statuses. Yeah. And I think it's interesting feeling alone, feeling completely alienated. Like, yeah. yeah. And sort of like the dissolved family unit. So it plays into yeah. this sort of conservative idea of poverty and stuff like that. And so I, I, I don't know. I think it's really interesting to get like, we've gotten a lot of that from the show and to see this side of it is really interesting. Mm-hmm. And then, Oh, well I think and the, another like, I guess economic, uh, aesthetic play here that I think is really interesting and, 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 uh, sort of, uh, coming from your sort of social group and your your culture like all the aesthetics of the house being japanese are super minimal but yeah. super super beautiful yeah and they're not stark but they're still very warm and natural feeling yes, yes. you compare that to arnold's room which is like very western like very mm. consumer driven the music is really goofy and over the top mm. he has like flat screen tvs mm. big like plush couch like bed everything is like very sort of like supersized yeah yeah and then you have her as like a counter it's a huge oh, house it, with it's, a minimalist but it's aesthetic. Exactly. Yes. Really nice, but really minimal. Yeah. And I think it kind of shows, like, aesthetically, if you compared Arnold's room mm. and her room. Mm. Uh, and and she still comes seems to be coming for more money. Um, yeah, it's like all of Arnold's money, all of his family's money has gone into that room. Yeah. Because but, the rest of the boarding house is, like, basically garbage. Like, stuff it, falling apart. And it's almost like when his parents died... He got some lump of money, and they... uh, it's unknown if they died. Just oh, it's no. unknown. Yeah, yeah. The new movie, you'll find out oh. if they're dead or not. But go on. Yeah, but w- whatever happened to his parents? Like right. he got some sum of money. Yeah, I'm guessing they died. And <sighs> yeah, he spent like they spent it all on like things to make him really happy, and they provide mm-hmm. him with love and care and mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. 
but there's a, like a lot of material possessions in this room. Well, yeah, and if you if you think of so okay, so Arnold is like has this like lower class background with uh with this high class room that's kind of like hiding like actually how crazy his life really is. Yeah. Um, you have like you said, Harold, who's this I guess like lower middle class, like very bland kind of like uh, like lower middle class family, like yeah. a mom and dad who are kind of numb and boring right and then you have gerald i i I had him as not having a dad for some reason harold yeah which probably or not harold did i do it again no harold no you're talking about harold yeah yeah yeah. yeah. harold has a mom and dad the the dad's like the one who's like like they're jewish they're like stereotypical jewish parents like boring and like uh, not that you're what i mean is like (laughs) we got you in a trap (laughs) oh no um (laughs) but so what's interesting is so far um even with gerald who is coming from a middle-class black family, they haven't really talked about race yet. And this episode, like, they race has always been implied, but never explicitly talked about. Yeah. Um, and this is the first time it's explicitly talked about, both in its, um, in this, like, really uh, visual, harsh marriage. And I don't mean harsh, bad. I just mean, like, yeah. vibrant marriage of two cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then also... Um, Principal Wartz references her nationality, which hasn't, even though you have like one of the main characters is a young black kid, like it's not really referenced yet, um, other than impl- just like the implication of social, cultural, and racial uh, it, well, structure. It's almost like this show takes place in like the post race, like post race utopia that like people thought happened after President Obama was the president, hmm. like where like we've transcended racial issues and problems and i don't obviously that's not true but i feel like in this show it it, like thus far in the seasons like there is very little talk about race to me there's a lot of like class or dynamics to to the show yeah but it's almost like there's like all groups of people getting along equally well everybody's like doing their thing and it's almost like a non-issue yeah um and which is like pretty interesting given the time period that this show came out in. yeah the mid to late 90s i mean it I think I think it is interesting to talk about race in regards to, um, like Gerald's narrative. Like, say, okay, so this is a young black family. Let's talk about like why it's such a big deal for the dad to say money doesn't grow on trees. Like, let's talk about what poverty looked like for the for the uh, black American in uh, an urban area. Like, that's a huge deal that they owned a house, right? I mean, just from the if you look at history. Um, uh, so I think. Even though it hasn't been brought up explicitly, I think it's been worth talking about and thinking about. But this is the first time where it's explicitly brought up. And it's brought up in a derogatory way. And I don't mean that the show is purposely being that way. They paint the picture of the principal as like a bumbling idiot. Like how he missed he missed that Phoebe's just from Kentucky. But he changed the name to say Kentucky as like a... Um, like he's assuming that Kentucky must be somewhere foreign. So it's both. Or what he was doing was like making exotic, a non-exotic thing. Which he was is either racist. making, yeah, he was either making exotic a non-exotic yeah. thing. He's or trying to be funny, or yeah. he just is dumb. Like those are the options. I think it's probably all three. All three. Yeah. A marriage of all three. Um, but it, but it also is like that sort of nod, and a lot of conservative folk get mad at this and annoyed by this. Like sort of a a like a sort of a nod to like the the, bez, the the positives 
positive side of like multicultural society, mm-hmm. but like people thinking that like that's good just in itself, which it is obviously multicultural multicultural society is good, but that like for a lot of like liberal types that it's more just like a surface level thing that the, they think is like this good signaling that they're doing, that they're like a worthwhile, oh, moral, yeah. accepting person. Yeah. You know what I mean? When uh, a lot of conservative people would think like homogenous societies are better for economic reasons, social reasons, yeah, yeah, right, all these right, different right. things. Um, and so I think... It's not true, but go on. No, it's, it's they're, they're wrong. But yeah. um, I think it's like sort of like a nod to that. Like we love to highlight our multicultural students. It's like, wait a minute, where are you from? It's like, it's a very surface level understanding of your, your student that you're talking about. So you're using them as like the token as opposed to really yeah. getting to know the person, understand yeah. where they come from. Which, uh, of course, like he's being compared directly to Mr. Simmons, who is, like, very intuitive. And dives like, deep with his students. Yeah, like, uh, you know, he, he, that's butted up against him saying, um, uh, uh, that's what poetry's about. Like, you're going to write some bad poems. It's it's okay, you know? There's, like, a like a kindness in Phoebe's... Phoebe's attempting to say, I cheated. But up until that point, she hasn't done it yet. And so... For Mr. Simmons, he's probably thinking this is a time for me to connect with this student and encourage them in how hard it was to even write that poem that she wrote. Um, and his response later, you know what? Thesis. Let's move on. We'll talk about the thesis episode in one second. I did, just to go back to her house really quick, I wrote a list of all the things I liked in her house. Since this is not a visual medium, I thought I would read them out loud. Um, she has a sign above her... Uh, uh, poster above her bed that says carpe unum which means take one which is interesting she's taking one of the poems out of this book uh there she has cactus drapes a mount rushmore lamp Uh, i loved her father's glasses very hip very chic um they had a cow creamer so like a creamer so like a like a um a mug that's clearly used to pour out cream shaped like a cow uh she has an she has an angular cactus so the cactus that grows is like it looks like all, it's all right angles so a beautiful very beautiful uh she has a meatball poster uh <laughs> japanese characters uh are hanging from the door uh, obviously mattress on the floor very minimalist um she has a killer whale marine park which seems against her uh um kind of aesthetic but whatever um also their bathroom is unbelievable it's made of wood she has a wooden bathtub that she just went in with her clothes she like walked into the bath with her clothes because she was so um sad and depressed yeah depressed and that was after she was in her private fencing room which don't we all have or at least wish we all had uh just imagine all that um i guess okay so i do want to dive back into i just wanted it before i forgot that list was very important um, <laughs> we do have a thesis scene though and that's uh i think it's it has a couple different pieces to it, but it's at, it's at the end before she reveals to Mr. Simmons that she cheated. Um, she's confronting, uh, the Emily Dickinson trophy, uh, one last time. How did you get here? So you thought you could get rid of me just like that? You didn't do the hard work you're capable of. You stole a poem and called yourself a poet. You should have searched deep inside yourself like all real poets do. Please go away. I know I didn't earn you. And now it makes me sick when I look at you. I hate you, you scary little statue. Phoebe, what's going on in there? Uh, nothing, Mother. Now I'm lying to Mother again.
again because of you. Lying and cheating. What am I saying? I've done this to myself, but no more. Where are you taking me? Be quiet. Will so I think that scene is doing three things. One is it is bringing up um, uh, like the abject nature of shame, how shame sticks around in a way where you, it's like you can't even look at yourself in the mirror. Um, she can't, she literally can't look at this uh, trophy without feeling regret, shame, sadness, sorrow, etc. Um, I also think that this uh, is the moment that is that very special episode, moral of the week kind of moment where it's like spelled out so easily. And I think that's the, mo the least interesting part of, of this. Um, and then the third, I think, is the way in which Phoebe realizes that, like, her part in this in this problem um, is where that moral issue becomes more interesting. Her, it's not taught at her. It's like she learns it for herself. She processes it verbally out loud and then makes that recognition. Um, and I think all three of those things are um, pretty interesting. Uh, yeah. And especially in the context of, you know, uh, her family dynamic, her race dynamic, um, you know, the, the uh, Mr. Warts versus Mr. Simmons. Um, yeah, I think it's a I think it's fine. It's not the, the best thesis scene we've ever pulled, but it's like the obvious one, I think. I, I think that what's nice about well, we'll dive into one part of what you said which is like her internal struggle that she faced and her ability to uh sort of transcend it and learn from it was really great and it was almost like um the interpersonal part of it where she was allowed to sort of work the ideas out with her teacher who allowed her mm. to and it's kind of like representative of his, of his character in uh, previous episodes and seemingly who he is as a character um, that like he understood like the, her as, and took her as her whole being and whole person and recognized that this doesn't yeah. make this isn't a representation of who she is as a person and didn't choose to like shame her in a mm, way mm. because it's almost like the, the trauma he knew that her intellect is high enough and her sort of awareness of herself yeah. is high enough that she had already sort of like. Um, felt so much shame that she didn't need somebody to pile on top of it uh, or things to pile on top of that. So by not publicly shaming her essentially and outing her yeah. in front of the whole class, um, it's almost like it allowed her to deal with um, the sort of the, the moral quandary or ethical quandary that she was in, um, in the best way possible, mm. which was sort of sorted out um, actually make a right out of her wrong, which was like reading the truly good poem uh, by written by anonymous um, and giving credit where credit was due and still knew that what she did was incorrect and would chooses not to do that in the future. It wasn't my poem. I copied it right out of a book. I just wanted so much to win. I see. Do you understand the seriousness of what you did, Phoebe? Yes, sir. It was terrible. Why was the contest so important to you that you decided to cheat? I'm used to being the best, sir. Who I am. Don't you think there's a lot more to Phoebe Heyerdahl than always being the best and winning awards? I, I really don't know, sir. Well, I'm sure of it. But needing to be the best at everything and how it makes you feel when you don't win, I, I want you to write a poem about that. In the meantime, we still need a reading for the open house. And remember, the lost and found will not be responsible for any more. So what I like about considering both halves of that, um, uh, like learning scene, is that. 
uh, in the first part, which feels more like the button thesis, um, uh, Phoebe learns a thing about herself and actually kind of has her own process of self-realization. Um, but in that second half with Mr. Simmons, that that actually feels like the real um, the real moral, the real lesson, which is like you're more than whether you're the best or not. You're the more you're more than uh, how smart you are, um, and it's a really healing moment, I think, for Phoebe, for him to say, I want you to write a poem on that. I mean, that's inviting her into emotional health and emotional honesty that she's never experienced before, I don't think. Totally, and I think what it is allowing her to do is that it's like a specific type of turmoil that allows sort of the creative process to flow from. So, and I think her recognizing like her intrinsic value Mm -hmm. will shift her, I mean, I guess could shift her way of thinking to allow her to like open up to a more creative side of her personality. Um, because I think all the stuff up until that point is very transactional. It's right. like learn the thing, do the thing, get the award, keep going. And it's this endless sort mm. of progress forward. Um, and I think the sort of um, interpersonal sort of dialoguing that's going on will allow her, I guess, uh, to be like a more creative person. And I think that's the thing she's missing this whole time is that like what it is to be creative, what it is to make art. And, um, yeah, this is sort of that process yeah. of why Helga can do it and she can't because, yeah, because Helga hates herself and knows it. Yeah. Which I mean, like that's, every great yeah. writer, artist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Helga's little scene uh, is a microcosm of what Phoebe experiences. Helga goes, I can't do it. I've got nothing left in me. And then she gets inspired and does it. Totally. And, and that's basically what happens with Phoebe. Although we don't know the ending. So even, even the way this episode ends is like, uh, moral better moral but still no real conclusion so we don't know did she write the poem was it good um but that's not what the product isn't what it's about it's the experience i think because if they ended with her writing this poem i don't know if it would have been as as uh, satisfactory well and i feel like her poem probably wasn't good (laughs) right because she's nine (laughs) yeah well and beyond that helga's nine too but i think beyond that it's like she just might not be a good poet you know what mm-hmm. I mean? But she has some other role in society or within her friend group or within her family or whatever. Right, right. And you can't be everything. But um, I think, like, the showing her that there's this sort of – that there's this sort of space in society where you don't – things don't have to be, like, easily quantified. Things right. don't have to be the best. Oftentimes in art yeah. making, things that aren't technically good are, quote-unquote, quote, quote unquote, considered the best. So it's, like, how you judge yeah. art is, like, very different than how you judge, like, a math test. Do you know what I mean? Um, so there's like obviously rules to critiquing art and things like that in certain forms and different things like that and methods, but um, it's way more like nebulous and sort of ambiguous than um, I guess like the hard sciences or these uh, other things that like one would all the STEM things that you would learn yeah, in school. STEM. Yeah, she's definitely a STEM student. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, it, it sometimes you know like I I don't know if you feel this way like as a person who you know, is a creative, and I don't mean is creative, I mean, like, is doing work, like, writing and producing and, uh, like, I'm a photographer, et cetera, et cetera. Like, uh, there's this... I have a cell phone, too. Yeah. I'm a photographer as well. Um, There's this, like, well, so speaking of which, (laughs) like, there's this idea, like, uh, like, not anyone can be, like, not... It's the process is is isn't just the process. It's also like the skill and the talent and is it actually good or not? But what I forget is that like 
we all are taking part in a creative a creative process everybody because you're making an omelet for breakfast and you're um you know uh like helping produce culture by like making nicknames with your friends like all those things are part of a therapeutic creative process that everyone takes part in and mr simmons is highlighting that for her that like the experience you just had is important figure out a way to process it and to exercise that creativity yeah yeah and i think yeah i don't know i think i find that like i guess the bourgeois idea of like calling a class and group of people quote-unquote creatives i think is like sort of creepy and strange to do because it's mostly a class thing that you're saying like when mm. people call themselves creatives and stuff like yeah, that yeah totally like um art making and all those things is very valuable but to designate like a group of people who do quote-unquote creative work which can be anything from social media posting to photography to fine art to all these different things right right but it's like people and i'm a creative yeah and it's i like, said it earlier but i'll say it again <laughs> a little more my nose is a little bit more curled now well but but i i think there are such things as artists and people that are not artists right, right so it's not right. like a terrible distinction but i feel like uh the commodifying uh commodification of art which is like rampant in our society because it's sort of like the vernacular we all speak in doesn't necessarily make you an artist do you know what i mean Right. Um, and art making is more vague, I think, than what people typically think is. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's more vague. And like, even like when you think about how Phoebe was writing her poem, my favorite, my favorite thing about her attempt is how her experience is that of like science and like it, it she used the scientific method. To it's like, observational. To like, yeah, yeah. Observational. And totally. so like. I like to call it the preposition shuffle where she was trying to figure out how to, um, I, I have it written down here. What, how she started this straight up. Oh, uh, so she's trying to figure out a way to write about the clouds pouring rain everywhere. And so the first thing she said was, Oh, uh, raining on the place. And then she says, no, no, that's not right over the place. And it, she really is just going through as many like above type, uh, prepositions. Uh, so that's a phrase that I just made up for. <laughs> it's it's another version of purple prose, which is preposition shuffle. Um, anyway, uh, I do think that Mr. Simmons walking her through her guilt and shame is actually like now that I'm really thinking about it, uh, it's very powerful, and uh, it's like he's helping her. It's like spiritual formation or like emotional formation in a way that most teachers probably don't even think about. And I, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's really great. And to circle it back to something we were talking about before, if you want to hear somebody, uh, a comedian, like make fun of modern art in a fantastic way, uh, listen to Harry Kondabolu. It's about like indigenous art and then about modern art. And it's a fantastic bit. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And he basically says that he hates modern art. And that, um, well, that's ridiculous. Yeah. But it's a joke, but okay. yeah. Valuing modern art above like indigenous art and those sorts of things is being problematic and yada, yada, yada. But I think that, uh, yeah, look it up on the Spotify. Mm -hmm, It'd be fantastic. Mm -hmm. You'll enjoy it. Uh, so some other bits, I like that Emily Dickinson's trophy is black and white because there's this, the picture painted of Emily Dickinson is that she, was bland and like dull, but her poetry was like beautiful. And so like, I, I don't know. It just, it, it fit this like false narrative we have of her. Um, but 
it also makes sense that it's her because she has some sort of like Emily Dickinson has some sort of deep shame clearly because her poetry is unbelievably depressing. Um, she's amazing. She's an amazing poet. And, uh, uh, you know, she, like uh, what I like about her is she, um, uh, al allowed the female story to be, uh, not just like Rococo perfect, like, um, uh, a, a pr like pretty experience. It's this like visceral, sad, depressed thing. That being said, it makes sense that she's, it's her and not like, I don't know. I don't know poetry enough to like, <laughs> I like, I'm like, I know Emily Dickinson enough to like talk out of my ass, but geez, I don't know. Who's a poet. You don't need oh. poetry when we have rap music and things now. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. No, I, I know poetry, just version. not that time. Oh my gosh. Billy Collins is fun, right? That's oh, yeah. the, I just pulled the easiest one to pull the, like <laughs> our only contemporary. Um, I apologize to poetry fans out there. Uh, um, I do, I, maybe the last thing of depth we can talk about, which is a little more my speed is that kind of the, so back, yes, back to Emily Dickinson. She has this like abject depressed, um, perspective on life. And that translates into Phoebe's view of herself and of this like shame she has. Um, cause she believes that if she just makes this trophy disappear, then her shame for cheating will too not the case. Like she clearly is feeling it anyway. Um, and that I think the trophy is a personification of her shame because she like buries it. She puts it in her drawer. She tries to like tell Mr. Simmons that she cheated and she chickens out like all these things she's trying to do to get rid of this shame. But every time she goes back home and there it is staring at her in the face. Well, and I think a thing that happens is I think she throws out the window and yeah. then Arnold and Gerald uh, kind of find it and they're like, oh, this is Phoebe's thing that she won her award. And they take it back to her and they bring it in. They're doing a kind deed. But I think it's the same thing kind of like we were, I was talking about earlier where, it, 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 yeah, it's like the physical manifestation of a, of, a, of a feeling. And when you lie to people or you do something you shouldn't do, it like finds a way to come out in very strange moments. Oh, totally. So like your friend yeah. can say something and it reminds you of that thing, that mm -hmm. bad thing that you have done. Mm -hmm. So I think it, it as like a physical manifestation of her feelings or like the problem at hand. Yes. Is really, yeah. really like spot on and really good. And like the middle ground is her um, like... Uh, fighting like an angry wind, right? Yeah, um, totally. Moving like an angry wind. Like that's kind of in between her personification, her physical personification of her pain, uh, which is the trophy, and then her actual shame, which she verbalizes at the end. Like, I don't know why I did this. I like feel terrible, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so you kind of get all versions of like shame. Um, and I, I, her starting by saying, I can't even look at you anymore. That's her talking to herself. Like when she, because when you hear voices, uh, like we could just say that she's going crazy, which is true, but not, but not like interesting. What is interesting is that dreams, voices you hear, um, any kind of like nightmares, those are all coming from your own brain. So when she says to the voice that's talking to her from this trophy, I can't even look at you anymore or whatever the, ex I don't remember what the exact line is. What she's saying is I can't even look at myself anymore. Like, I don't know who I am. And so it's really powerful that at the end of that, like sparring with this trophy, she says, what am I, what am I saying? This isn't like anyone's fault, but mine. I, I did this to myself. So that's like the healing power of, of 
processing, I guess, or like, yeah, it was just like her internal struggle. Yeah. 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 Projected outwardly. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, and I think like that self hate that you see in a lot of depressing poetry, not just by Emily Dickinson, by any, all those other poets that we mentioned earlier, Yeah, all the other poets, um, like art is a way to process your self hate a lot of times, not all the time, but that's like where you get that inspiration. And so I think it's great that she, I mean, I, I wish that the episode, I wish that we had a separate episode that was just about her writing that poem. I do want to hear that poem. I want to know what it was. I want to know what her like uh, emotional health became. I want to know, but it, you know, maybe we'll find out in future episodes. No. Who I don't. Oh, no. you know, I, you know it all. So yeah, know it all. Damn it. All right. Yeah, we're gonna get angry letters about Arnold's parents. It, it never has been said that they're dead. So I'm oh just yeah, yeah. Know you don't have to write yeah. an angry letter. I'm yeah, just... it was me. I don't know anything, and I just said it. Yeah, but I also did say we don't need poetry because we have rap music, and I do actually agree with that. Wait, really? Yeah, you don't like poetry? No, I don't. We clearly don't know anything about poetry. <laughs> I like poetry. I can read poetry. I just <laughs> well, am I not. Te- good I technically, at... I can read it as well. I just am not good at. Uh, Robert not, Frost, okay, geez. Uh, we're not Shakespeare. starting a poetry uh, po- podcast. Yeah, this is a po- what, why, why are you getting art? mad at me? Geez. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, all the poetry I need is in Helga, Helga G. Pataki. That's, That's all the poetry true. I need. Nicely done. Thank that you. was a good recovery. Yeah. She's our favorite poet, actually. It is true. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, uh, let's let's just say it. Um, best Asian American character before 2005. If anyone has an idea of someone better, please send it to us. And you know who should pick the best Asian American character in film? What? Two white males. Well, <laughs> if you're kidding. if you're Asian American, please send it. I also say that Helga is just plain the best character, and I am no female. That's true. No, so. I was making a joke. Oh, what? It's just PC world we live in. We didn't talk politics today, guys. <laughs> this is a record. Two episodes in a row. We sort of did earlier. I said conservative. Yeah, but we didn't like actually talk about it. No. We Should didn't. we get into it? No. No. That's not what this is. Okay. This is for Arnold only. Alright. Uh Cry of the Week. Um So Cry of the Week. Uh mine <laughs> is I'll let Just you I'll that. let you think about it. Do you know what it is? No, no, go ahead. No. Uh mine actually uh is the fencing. I think uh, nice. uh, him really being concerned for her and then her like arguing with him about whether or not he he like hit her or not with the, with the sword. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is beautiful actually. And then her like him like assuming like well you're an honest person, I trust you over himself. Over yeah. his own perception. Oh, it was magical. Like it was very beautiful. Yeah, that and was her, gorgeous. Her actually. response is stop picking on me. Like, which is interesting because picking like with a sword or like oh, with something deeper, nice. you know, <laughs> but she like, she is feeling it so much that she is like arguing with her dad. She's taking it out on him. I don't know. It's like, it's really heartbreaking. It's, but that just that sort of, uh, that love in that moment was pretty beautiful. Yeah. He, well, he's teaching her George Takai, George Takai. Yeah. He's teaching her about honor, dignity, honesty, and like, by saying that she's being that, but by being it himself, he's like both complimenting her and like illustrating what that actually looks like. Well, and the lack of ego in that statement is pretty fantastic. Yes. 
Yeah. Um, I would say that's uh, I would say it's three tiers, three out of five. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. Uh, I think my cry. This is gonna be a full cry. And it's uh, how not well read we are about poetry. Yeah. Womp womp. Meta. Yeah. Always going meta. <laughs> <laughs> um, but actually, I would like to piggyback yours. I think that is a pretty in- that was a pretty wonderful moment. And I think we could actually talk about that exchange for a while. There's something about that that is really great. I think, like you said, the like willing to forego his perception of the situation which he was there for and purely base his decision-making off of his level of honor in her Mm -hmm. and how high of a regard he views her with how high regard, um, I think is pretty insane. Well, that's her unusual. I think it is. Yeah. And that's, and that's in cartoons and in life. That's where her shame like overflows. She like can't even contain herself because like he's not trying to make her feel guilty and it's not even the view, it's not even the writer trying to make the viewer feel her guilt it's like he's just being like honest that's yeah like he's being honest about his view of her honesty mm-hmm. um he doesn't know that she's struggling with this so his his response is like it's just this kind gesture to to who she is or who she thinks he, he thinks she is yeah i don't know i think he has two of the best lines of the show so far that moment and the wind yeah like the angry wind which happens within like five seconds of like it's very quick yeah Yeah. definitely the best lines of the episode for sure and i think actually you know because uh he didn't actually say that this character's not real it shows the the this episode i think really highlights how solid the writing is in this show oh it's really good writing and it's the merger of like really fantastic aesthetics Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. really really good writing and storytelling yeah Yeah, this is character development i mean you have Phoebe, Mr. Simmons, and Helga all having significant roles in like, uh, uh, in in their own character development. I guess yeah. um, there's no, like, like all three of them don't really act tertiary. Even though Helga and Mr. Simmons for sure aren't the main characters, no. you still get bits of their who like, they are, who they are through. exactly, yeah. exactly, um, and and powerful moments from all of them. Um, yeah, this is a, this is a great episode, uh, and. Um, I guess the moral is uh, write a poem about your pain. Oh, nice. And that we need to read more poems. Yeah, I'd recommend Dr. Seuss, Shel Silverstein. Um, (laughs) I mean, Bob Dylan just won the prize for literature, so I guess he must be a poet? I don't know. Maybe. He might be. Yeah. I think it's actually his fantastic singing ability, which is what gave him such notoriety. Yeah. That that's was, the thing. Yeah. That's the thing. Not his perfect lyrics. Right, 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 yeah. right, 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 right. <laughs> uh, we will end on some music. Um, uh, what is it? The yeah. jazz, the sm- you know what? We've been doing this stretching for... stretching the boundaries. Yeah. Just so you know, we've been doing this for uh, several weeks now, the uh, smooth jazz of the week. And just to remind you, Harold is about the music, and so it is, yes. we just want to give you guys some examples of great um, jazz, funk, soul. Um, uh, it's kind of whatever we want to play. It's but it's within the sort of funky yeah. genre. Yeah. yeah, we're not going to play any hard rock. No, no, no. Except no, for the time not... we played Creed, but <laughs> other than that, we don't. Yeah. Um, and no country because it doesn't really suit the. No, uh, but there are some good country episodes coming up, so we'll definitely throw in a, some of our favorites. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so yeah, enjoy enjoy this this week's smooth jazz, which I think Adam 
knows what it is. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, the guy goes by the name Mind Design, but there's no vowels. Mm. Ooh. Um, and the song is called Camel Blues. It's a really good song. Uh, do you know what album it's on? Uh, I can find out very quickly. Cool. Um, while he's looking up that album, um, please rate and review. Stop what you're doing. You've go- you've gone through the episode. Do us a solid rate and review. Uh, reviews are very helpful. Um, and our email is hey.handledhey at gmail.com. Oh, you have the, do you have the album? The album is called Yawn Zen, Z-E-N. Ooh. That is, ooh, Zen. Very yeah, nice. Nicely fitting, uh-huh. yeah. Uh, she is definitely at her best Zen. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that mattress? That's very it's, Zen. Oh my gosh, his glasses are amazing. Yeah. And he wears like great sweaters. He does. You guys have got to watch this episode. It's really good. Um, yeah, this is an episode worth watching. Yeah. For a variety of reasons, but the the visuals are very good. The, the visuals are great. Are um, thanks for tuning in. Uh, please rate and review. Uh, anything else? Uh, no. Yeah, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Thank you for listening. And, um, yeah, see you, uh, see you soon.